in the book of Titus, chapter 2, titled tonight, The Purpose for Jesus. So in chapter 2, the first study we had, we had the, of course, the um, instruction there for the pattern for Titus. Um, We saw that in verse 7, in all things showing yourself a pattern. Um, We had the plan for Titus in chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, and uh, the plan for him and to uh, what he was going to be teaching the, uh, the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, all these things. But tonight, we're going to get the purpose for Jesus. And, and Paul kind of changes things up here. We've been talking a lot about a lot of instruction, a lot of uh, correction. And I don't know about you, but it's been, um, I mean, this book has been a challenge. There's a lot of stuff in here where it's like, you know, especially when, and when he talks about the fact that an elder is to be what? Blameless? Hmm. Okay. Yes, we're, we're, we're all doing good there. And the standard was set. But that standard, of course, really in, regardless, in regards to us, it's, it's kind of impossible, especially in light of the law. Of course, none of us could fulfill the law. And of course, Paul talking to Titus here, he had, a, he had an incredible challenge to go into Crete, of course, into every city, set things in order, appoint elders in every city, and then now instruct these elders in the things that I'm teaching. And of course, this letter that came from Paul, man, here's what it is. And of course, I've told you before, I see you guys all as elders in training, your pastors in your home, your pastors in your workplace, your, your, the elders that are out there. You're the ones that are, are encountering the people in the work field and such. And so I see that. And I love this book because it's perfect for it. But oftentimes it comes to the point where we're looking at it going, wait a minute. What? So, okay, a, a bishop is to be blameless, steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money hospitable, all these things, and you can kind of look at that list and go, well, okay, one out of six, I'm all, I'm all right here. But I love the fact that here in, in verse 11 through 15, it's almost like Paul, in, in writing this letter to Titus, realizes that he's, he's, he's hammering pretty hard. Man, Titus, you, you got a lot of work to do, and you yourself have to set the example for all this. Man, you got to measure up. And we've got to measure up, guys. We've got to measure up in this world we live in with our wives, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our girlfriends, with our families. And yet oftentimes we read some of this stuff, we see some of this, and we see how far we fall. And it's like, man. And, and I pray that no one is here tonight under the cloud of condemnation because that's not the heart of Christ. I mean, he died for that condemnation. But I see Paul, it's like he wants to encourage Titus, he wants to encourage us, and of course, he wants to let us know, man, the reason that Jesus came, don't lose sight of this for your own life. And and we see this, that he sent Jesus so we would know God, that we would know his love, and we would experience his grace that came through the forgiveness of our sins and and the life that he gave us, and and the act of God allowing his son to be crucified in our place speaks of grace. And of course, we, we know what grace is. But are we experiencing grace? Grace is, is not getting what we deserve and getting what we don't deserve. You have mercy and grace. It's interesting how these two will play back and forth because when I receive mercy, it plays out in grace. And when I receive God's grace, it's because of his mercy. And yet are we experiencing the grace in our lives? And we talk about this tonight here, this, this unmerited favor that comes towards us, unmerited, unearned, undeserved. And you've heard the acronym before, GRACE, God's Riches at Christ's 
expense. And we receive this, this grace and we, we hear about it, but am I living in this place? And I, I think that's what he's, he wants, the message especially when he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He starts us off in light of the instructions and the challenges and the direction he was telling Titus to go with the people there in Crete. And this grace of God is really, though, the cool thing, it's more than a divine attribute. It's more than a divine attribute, guys. It's a divine person. And the person is Jesus Christ. In essence, Jesus is grace. He is grace incarnate. And so this grace, it's, it's, it's got to be the impetus for us, the, divine, the driving force for why Titus would obey what Paul is commanding him to do, why the people on the island of Crete, leaders and the churchgoers, why they would be in obedience, why they would even listen to the teaching. And of course, for us, the reason why we love them so much is this grace that has come to us. And at the end, of course, we hope that it's, it's what desires in our hearts or brings that desires to be zealous for good works. And so when we think of Jesus, the plan from the beginning of time to send him into this hurting world, ultimately, ultimately to show us how much God truly loves us. And you got to realize that again, no matter what's going on in your life, that man, God loves you just the way you are, no matter how good, how bad you are. He came and he saved you that while we were yet sinners, he died. Yes, he wants us to walk blameless. Yes, there's the challenge there. Yes, the standard has been set, and I need to reach for that. I need to strive for that. But when I fall short, and I am going to fall short, I fall on the arms of grace. I don't let the devil kick and condemn, because that's what he does, huh? I mean, that whole little whisper in the ear, and you call yourself a Christian? You got those kind of thoughts going on in your head? You're looking at that that's walking across the room, and, and you're thinking these things, and you're acting this way? You just yelled at your wife, and you kicked the dogs, and you cussed out your boss? I mean, all these things, and you call yourself a Christian? Man, and that's our devil. Love to bring that. And Jesus says, yeah, those things are wrong, but you know what? I paid the price for those. I died for those sins. And of course, the most important message we got to have in our heart is that we are truly loved by him. Yes, we're to walk blameless, to live our lives to Christ, to witness and tell others. But in the midst of this Christian life, you guys, don't. Don't miss a purpose for Jesus. Don't miss that he is he's there for you. He's, he's there for you to be the one that you can fall into and, and, and run to and, and Cry in his arms when you mess up, when you blow. So here we see the first thing, the purpose for Jesus, number one, to introduce the meaning of grace in verse 11, chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, the grace of God, the meaning of grace, the purpose was to give us a picture of grace, not just a definition, not just words, but Jesus himself demonstrated grace and he made it visible to all men. Jesus is grace walking around. He personifies the grace of God, number one. And this was the gift that appeared. And this appeared, it, it carries the meaning of that coming to light, um, becoming manifest in a way that was previously unseen. And of course, we know the mystery that Paul talks about, the mystery of, of God reaching out to the Gentiles, that mystery that was before that was not seen until it was revealed in Jesus Christ. And then it came to light what the prophets had talked about. 
So Jesus himself personifies the grace of God, but also the grace of God is what brings salvation. And salvation, of course, we know expresses his love. 2 Timothy 1.9 says he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Isn't that amazing? Before time began, this plan of God, before we were even around, before the world was even around, before anything was in existence, before time began, the grace that brings salvation. So the purpose, one, to introduce the meaning of grace. Number two, verse 11, continuing to bring salvation to all men. All men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And this salvation is universal. He he, he has appeared to all or is for all, of course. And the meaning is simply there. Not a select few that have been chosen Not those who God had, well, I I like this group over here, but I don't like this group over here. And, of course, the Jews at first thought that they were the only ones chosen. And that, of course, was the big struggle. When Paul, of course, spoke to them saying, "Uh ah, you know what? And Peter even himself saying, no, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's when everything exploded and, and, of course, cost the disciples their lives, Paul his life. But we see, though, the first thing, number one, John three sixteen. we know the scripture. For God so loved the what? Yeah, it doesn't say he loved some in the world. God so loved the world. He gave his son for everyone. Number two, in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 5, it says that God desires that all men be saved. And there's the argument that comes, well, if God desires all men to be saved, as the Calvinists would say, then why aren't all men saved? I'm not like some brilliant guy, but to me, it's because I don't choose to be saved. I got to make the choice. It all started in the garden. Adam and Eve made a choice. They could have chosen to ignore Satan, but they didn't. You and I have a choice to make. All men have a choice to make, but all men have the opportunity to be saved. In 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any perish. He's patiently waiting for that last soul to receive him. And of course, This is not universal salvation like the universalists teach that basically all roads lead to heaven and eventually everyone is going to be saved. And even the the doctrine of purgatory there in the Catholic church that, well, you know what? You know, some of you got to spend, hey, you know what? Larry, Larry's such a good guy back there. Larry's only got about a month in purgatory. Now we look over there at Mark or or Albert for sure. Albert's, dude, you got about 10,000 years, dude, with all you did. And yet that's, that's a doctrine that's taught. How crazy is that, though? No, no, no. Either you're in or you're out, and you're in because of Jesus. It's not universal salvation. It is universal opportunity for salvation is what he's talking about. Opportunity for all men before time began to make the choice, to make a free will choice to receive this salvation. So to introduce the meeting to grace, to bring salvation to all men, number three... Verse 12, to teach us how to live, the purpose for Jesus. Verse 12, this grace, of course, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I love the Holy Spirit to put the present age, because what is the present age for us? (laughs) Pretty simple, huh? What was the present age for Paul and Titus? 
back then. And the next generation and next generation and next generation, we all have to live this way. But, of course, this grace teaches us how to live. And Jesus Christ, in God's grace, he breaks the power of sin, and he gives us this new nature, a nature that desires holiness. And it speaks of the fact that in light of what Jesus did for us, guys, listen, and the love demonstrated being spelled out by grace, of course, God's unmerited favor, because I don't want to trample on the grace of God. I don't want to take it for granted in vain. It should compel us. Here's the idea. It should compel me and you to what? Number one, turn away from ungodliness. And of course, it's a lack of true reverence and devotion to God. And understanding that the ungodly will not make it to heaven. Read Psalm 1. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff blown in the wind. They will not stand in the judgment. Uh -uh. They They won't be there with the righteous. So it should compel us to turn away from ungodliness, but also it should compel us to turn away from the worldly lusts and desires. And this speaks of the cravings and desires for things that are not actually committed. Interesting. This speaks really of the the fantasy thought life that goes on in your head. The, The sins that you commit in your heart and your mind that only the Holy Spirit sees and knows. That's what he's talking about, the, the cravings, the worldly lusts and desires. Denying the ungodliness, denying that junk, taking every thought captive to the Lord. When those thoughts come, and oftentimes those thoughts come from the devil. He just, you, you'll be sitting there, I've said it before, you worshiping in the middle of the, the sanctuary, all of a sudden it's like, where did that thought come from? Am I right? And it's like, get behind me, Satan. That's, that was the old man. That stuff is gone. So Jesus, the purpose to teach us how to live, to turn away from ungodliness, to turn away from the wordless, now the positive to live soberly means to have common sense, exercise good judgment and self-control, and not be subject to extremes, level-headed. The Holy Spirit has control. I am controlled by the Holy Spirit. I'm walking in the Spirit. That's my desire, to live soberly, to live righteously, as, as changed men, guys, who desire to show people that Jesus really can make a person brand new. Right living. You, you all have friends that are still friends that were your friends before you came to know Christ. And I pray that the person that they see in you now is a changed person. And they may still deny the Lord. They may still think that you're crazy or whatever, but they can't deny the fact that You were once lost, you were once blind, you were once this, and now you're this. Is there a change? Can people see that you're living righteously? Or are you just the same person, but all that's different is that you just say you're a Christian? Is there any change? There's supposed to be a change to live righteously. It's men who do the right thing all the time, the best they can. Soberly, righteously, and to live godly, simply to walk the talk in line with God's word. Because we're no longer his enemies, but we're his children. And Ephesians 5, 1 says, as, as dear children, be imitators of God. Imitate this God who gave himself for you, who loves you. Do what he does. And, and that scripture goes on to say, to love as Christ loved. 
And again, guys, when we look at this, this verse here, we look at these things here, this is, again, here's some proof. There's, there's evidence of salvation. There's evidence that change has happened. When I desire holiness rather than worldliness, no matter how short I come up to holiness, because we'll never reach that, if I'm desiring that and I'm, I'm trying to turn away from the worldliness and the devil who's, who keeps throwing those lures at me, who keeps trying to get me to take the bait, and sometimes I'll bite and sometimes I'll nibble, but, but I know that's not what though I want to do, that's evidence that there is something that's happened in my life, that, that salvation has come, because I don't want that anymore. Even though this stinking flesh, this crazy flesh, still desires those things, the, the sober man says, uh-uh. That's not going to help me no more. That's not going to do anything for me. All that's going to do is destroy my life. Amen? So there's proof here, guys. So again, the purpose to teach us how to live, verse 12. Moving on, though, number four, the purpose for Jesus was to give us hope. Verse 13, man, I love this passage of Scripture. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I encourage you to go, up, go out tonight after you get home and just look up at the stars and say, Man, Lord, I'm looking. Because Scripture says, when you see these things taking place, what are you supposed to do? Look up. Look up, brothers. Look up. Because your redemption draws near. The Lord is coming. And, of course, they've been saying that for how many years? (laughs) Quite a few. (laughs) Thousands. But let me ask you, how do you make it through the day? How do you make it through life? How do we make it through this crazy world? This really, this hopeless world. Man, for me, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, the hope that he is coming. And, of course, in light of that, the hope that I'm going to see him, and it may be me seeing him sooner than he's coming to see me. But either way, I'm getting to heaven, and it could be today. It could be tonight. And that gives me hope. Because you know what? Taxes are coming. (laughs) I won't. No way. I'll be done with that stuff. How is it that we can still be smiling and joyful? How, do people ask you that question? Dude, you should be like trying to kill people. You should be going postal. Nope. I got Jesus. And I got the hope that he can yank me right out of this horrible problem right now, today, forever. And he ain't taking it with me. It's not going with me, the problems. And it's because as Christians, we have hope that we can make it through. And this is not hope like I hope I win the lotto. That isn't hope at all. <laughs> No, no, no. The hope that we have speaks of a sure thing. It's a confident certainty of blessed assurance, you guys. The hope that we have here. And it's hope beyond this life, number one, because this world is not our home, is not our final resting place. We know what Paul told the Philippians, right? For our citizenship is in where? Where we eagerly await Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope beyond this life, guys. It's not our home, not the final resting place. Hope that we will spend eternity in heaven. Paul had this hope. He told Titus right here in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, he himself said, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope, verse 2, chapter 1, in hope of eternal life, in certainty in assurance of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised again before when? Before time began. It's crazy.
crazy the plan that God had before time began. So we have hope beyond this life, hope that we will spend eternity in heaven, and hope that Christ can return, like I said, any minute. There is nothing prophetically that is in the way stopping Jesus from returning. And of course, according to Peter, the only reason really is that he wants more people saved. He's not slack in his promise. He's just waiting. I mean, thank God. I know that some of you have been a Christian maybe a year. Some of you have been a Christian maybe five years. Some of you 10, 15. But what if the Lord had come 30 years ago? How many of you guys would be like smoking? 32 years ago, I'd be smoking. And I mean smoking in like toast, like in poof, like in you're there in the, where it's really, really hot. He could return, though. There's nothing. And you know what? Really, guys, we are the first generation that can truly say that biblically, that he could come. Now, of course, this scripture was written, and they had this blessed hope from the, from the beginning of when this was, was happening, when Paul wrote this, when the apostles were teaching these things. They, they thought, and of course, we know that in Thessalonians that they thought the Lord had already come, and they're already bun. Paul's like, time out, time out, whatever. That's a lie. He hasn't come yet. Don't, don't worry. He is coming. And they've been waiting generation after generation after generation. But biblically, prophetically, when Israel became a nation, that's what most believe this generation, what we live in. We're living in it. It could be. It could be. The hope is the return and promise of eternal life, really, though, guys, is everything. It's the grand plan. But the sad thing that I see is that the, the devil and the world has convinced man that this temporary life that we are living here is what life is all about. And you think about it. This is something serious to think about. We, we have been so deceived by the devil because you think about it. When you look at what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, into all the nations and make disciples. He didn't say go and get your careers going. Peter, go back to fishing. You know, build up your, your 401ks. And, and, you know, he, didn't say, he said go make disciples. And yet we, in this culture we live in now, we look at God's word and people look at this word. Well, that was, you know, that's then. I mean, society's changed. I mean, you got to have a job. You got to have careers. You got to. The pursuit of the things of this life and this earth guys, are keeping so many people out of heaven. We're, we're anchored to the earth. We're anchored to this ball, this little dot going through the universe. This is not it. If this was it, then Jesus would have set up his kingdom on earth back then when they wanted him to. So no, 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 wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't where I'm going to be. My kingdom is in heaven. And for me, honestly, when I think about John the Baptist, I was telling the leadership about this tonight. It's the only thing that helps him make sense of that whole scenario. Because when you think about John the Baptist, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Of men born of women, no greater man walked this earth. Am I right? Scripture says that. And then how much longer after Jesus saying that do you think John had his head cut off? Had to be less than two years. It happened pretty quick in Jesus' ministry. And yet for me, it's like, are you kidding me? Your own cousin who's doing all these great things for, for the kingdom? He prepared the way. He was preaching righteousness. 
And Pastor Jeff taught about that Sunday. I mean, John was the dude. And yet, the Lord allows his head to be cut off. Why? I believe Jesus rewarded John. I mean, we look at that and we think of the horror, the terror, and there was probably like, you know, that whole deal. But guess what? It was over quick and he was in heaven. He was there. He was, he was, he was in a sense, waiting for Jesus to get there because, of course, Jesus hadn't died yet. He'd, he'd gone to the waiting place, but then he was transported up into heaven, into paradise where the thief was going to go. Man. But for us, though, this, this eternal life in heaven, too many people live this life here on earth and we give this life everything. We live for this life. We, we do everything for this life and then the life to come. And of course, you're here on a Tuesday night, so I'm preaching to the choir a bit. But it's like, what's an afterthought? You know what? I'll, I'll roll the dice. I'll see what happens, you know. But I'm going to give it all I got in this world. I'm going to give everything. I'm going to do everything. So many things to see, so many things to do, so many... Oh, what? what is Colossians Chapter 3, verse 1 through 4 say, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek, seek those saints which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. For you died, and your life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. What is Paul saying there? I went off on a little soapbox there, but I'm telling you, guys, it's not about this life. It's about the life to come. Do the things that God wants for his kingdom here and now. That's what brings life. So, number five, the purpose for Jesus moving on, continuing in verse 14, to redeem us from sin. He gave himself for us. I thought I skipped one. <laughs> gave himself for us. To redeem us from sin and every lawless deed to redeem us. And this is huge, guys. And the word redeem means to release someone held captive as a slave or prisoner by paying the ransom note, the price. And, of course, we know the scripture. Jesus came to give himself a ransom, give his life a ransom for many. He paid the price for our release from sin. If not, we'd still be in our sin. And so this redemption, the problem, of course, we were dead spiritually. That's the effects of sin, the wages of sin, death, separated from God. As sinners, we were his enemies. We were at enmity with him. We were condemned to spend eternity in hell, you guys. Think about that. That was, that was the plan for you and for me, apart from Christ. And we were, we were without hope under this curse, but God, but God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four, I mean chapter two, 10 pages to the left. And, and I, I love this passage of scripture in Ephesians. I know most of you love it as well. It's just so full of this idea of what God did for us. But God, you guys, here's, here's what redemption brought. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. You were spiritually dead, you guys. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. According to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit of disobedience who now works in the sons of disobedience, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, that's who you follow, that's who your master was, whether you thought so or not, whether you realized it or not, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, though, but God, but God, you guys. This has got to get you, you've got to be excited about this. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which with he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding Riches, here we go, riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul talking to Titus about the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, what a passage. To be redeemed from sin, the purpose of Jesus. Came to set us free from sin and death in an act of amazing, amazing grace, you guys. Lastly, number six, the purpose for Jesus, to use us for his kingdom, you guys. And, verse 14 goes on to say, and purify For himself, his own special people, zealous for good works, to purify us. And as we know, salvation was provided by God through Jesus by the shedding of his blood. Why did he do that? Why did he provide the way for you to be saved? Plain and simple, number one, that you would be purified, cleansed, washed, that your sins will be forgiven, got you cleaned up. Number two, that peace will be restored with God to bring back the fellowship that was lost in the garden there. That you would be sanctified. And here is so important, guys. The word set apart for his use only, not to be shared with the devil. And when we see the instruments that were prepared and made for the um, tabernacle for in the, the sacrifices, those utensils were to be used only in the tabernacle. Why? Because those utensils were holy, as you are holy, because of the blood of Jesus. You've been purified, you've been restored, peace, you've been sanctified, that you would be his own special people, not shared with the world or with the devil, zealous or eager for good works. And, of course, back to Ephesians 2.10, the reason why he created us, for good works. And fifthly, it's why he saved us, and he saved us, guys, to use us, to use us for his kingdom. See, we got to realize that. Too often, the church teaches that, that God saved you for you, for your life, so you could have your best life now, someone might say, 
He, he saved you, of course, to bless you. He saved. There's, there's all kinds of benefits from being saved. Psalm 103, man, forget not all his benefits. Man, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, crowns your life with loving kindness, and satisfies your mouth with good things. Man, there are blessings from being saved. But he didn't save us to have us sit. He saved us to use us, to continue what was started there before Jesus ascended when he told the disciples to go there, therefore, in all the nations and make disciples. Didn't say go make fat people sit in the pews, and I mean fat spiritually, not being used of the Lord. Man, that's why he saved it. That is our purpose, to be set on fire, to be eager to do good things for the kingdom of God. Verse 15, speak these things, Titus, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you, man. This is truth. This is it. Encourage and correct. I give you my authority, Titus, even though you're a young man. Don't let them old men try and mess with you. Paul wrote this letter, sent it to Titus. It was to be read from all the people. Titus was, of course, as we know, the mantle was being passed to him just like it was to Timothy in another part in, in Ephesus. So we see this, though, the purpose for Jesus coming to encourage Titus, to encourage the people, realizing that, man, and some, some application. Number one, are you experiencing God's grace in your lives? Are you? His favor that you can't earn or improve on a God being mindful that we are sinners, and no matter how we blow it, he still loves us. So for us, it means forgiveness, understanding, compassion, mercy, all mixed in one. And so the challenge, and, and I encourage you, man, look at life through the eyes of grace as you walk in this life. Man, favor from God because of who he is and not because of who you are or what you do, or what you don't do. Grace from God, favor from God. You're his child. It'll change your perspective. It'll change really everything for you. You're going to have a, you're going to actually start smiling maybe. Man, God does love me. He's not condemning me. He's not mad at me. He wants the best. He wants us to do our best. He wants us to, to be full of good works. But man, grace. God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins. That's what grace is, you guys. And number two, the response to grace. A zealous desire for good works. And so, if you're thankful for grace, and if so, does it show in your life? Does it show by, by the things that you're doing? The good works. Or, on a negative note, are you trampling the grace of God underfoot? And some people take advantage of the grace of God. They take it in vain. And, and almost to the point where, <laughs> I'm covered, man. I got God's grace. I'm saved. I can live any way I want. I'm saved. He said I'm saved. And there's those who will teach you that no matter how you live, you're saved. I don't agree with that. I think your life shows your salvation by the way you live it for God. 
Not that you're earning your salvation because the salvation was given for free. But if I'm saved, I have a desire. I, I believe in his grace and I'm responding to his grace. Thank God for his grace. Man, I want to show God. I want to show others. And then thirdly, have you found your purpose for this life? We talk about that a lot. We see Jesus' purpose. And of course, this isn't an exhaustive study on the purpose for Jesus. We're just taking the scriptures as they came. But have you found your purpose for this life? Why did he save you? Why would he go to all the trouble? Why would you go to all the trouble? <laughs> That's what it amounts to. Uh. And of course, he loves you, but there's more to it, you guys. See, think of it in light of eternity. And, and the Lord gave this to me. Is, is God getting a good ROI from you? And you financial guys, you know what an ROI is, right? Return on investment. Are you, are you a good investment for the Lord? Is he getting a good return from you? <laughs> kind of interesting thinking from that perspective, huh? And of course, God doesn't look at that away. But is there some truth to that? Have you found your ministry? Have you found what God has called you to do? You know, in a church this size, there's tons of ministries that are happening. And you guys are here a part of the men's ministry. And there are many that are in this ministry, in this room right now, that are in the men's ministry. God is using them in the men's ministry. And there's others here. You're in the usher's ministry, security ministry, whatever, whatever. But those of you that are still kind of hanging around, watching the rest of the guys do all the work, the ushers need help. The greeters need help. Security needs tons of help. The parking lot guys need help. The bookstore needs help. The cafe needs help. The children's ministry needs teachers. The high school guys uh, ministry needs guys in there to mentor the teenagers and the junior high as well. Tons of stuff to be doing. So if God has poured out his grace upon you, turn around and, and, and let that grace be the impetus. We see the purpose for Jesus. Let, let, us, let us see what your purpose is. Let God see what your purpose is. Amen? And so tonight, guys, again, going back to what I believe the heart of this message that, that Paul was encouraging Titus, man, with this idea of grace and, and a lot of instruction, but now, you know what? And maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're living under maybe a cloud of condemnation. I pray that you would take this message to heart. You would look at life through the eyes of grace. You would take the grace of God and, and for what it really is. And know that you're forgiven. Know that God has a plan for you. Know that he is on your side. Romans chapter 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him also freely give you all things? And who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is it that condemns? It is Christ who died, furthermore was risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Paul concludes that passage, Scripture saying that he was persuaded, he is convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things that come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate you and me from the love of God. We got to live there, you guys. And it will change your life when you do. Recognizing, yes, we don't want to sin, but you know what? It's in you. Do your best 
to not. But when it happens, forgiveness and move on. And don't let the devil be the one that pulls you out of the race or trips you up in the race or hinders you in the race. Keep running. Finish line. Could be right out that door. Step outside in five minutes. We could all be in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for these dear men. Pray, Lord, tonight that you have encouraged them. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the purpose for which you came, to save us, to redeem us, to show us how to live, Lord, to teach us what grace was all about. Lord, we praise you so much. So I pray your blessings. Bless the guys in their groups. Encourage, Lord, we pray. And Lord, truly, help us to be mindful, to wake up in the morning realizing, you know what? You could come back today. And to have that hope and have that hope bring joy. And even as your word says, this hope purifies us with a desire to live zealous for good works. So bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.